I'm launching a course called Successful ADHD Entrepreneur. I've been an entrepreneur for a long time, and I've had ADHD for a little bit longer than that. Over that time, I've learned quite a few things that make me quite effective. People even call me organized. After many people asked me to, I have created a course to share what I've learned with you. Get details at neurodiversity.me slash course. The first run is limited to only 20 students, and the first class is April 20th, so don't put this one off neurodiversity.me slash course. My name is Michael Whitehouse, the guy who knows a guy. I'm a global connector, networking concierge, and coach. For two decades, I believed that my ADHD was a disability. Only at the age of 41 would I come to realize that my ADHD was an incredible asset. And when I leaned into that, I achieved greater success than ever before. ADHD is the engine behind my own success as a networker and coach. Over the past few years, I've spoken with thousands of entrepreneurs and found that many of them have some kind of neurodiverse diagnosis, ADHD, autism, dyslexia, OCD, and more. Like me, for many of them, their neurodiversity is indeed the very source of their success. On this show, we will change the narrative on neurodiversity. I've heard enough about the challenges and how hard it can be. I want to hear about how awesome we are. It's time to start talking about how our neurodiversity can be an asset for ourselves, our communities, and our businesses. It's time to start talking about neurodiversity superpowers. Welcome once again to the Neurodiversity Superpowers podcast. I'm your host, Michael Whitehouse, the guy who knows a guy. And our guest today from the other side of the world is Vince Warnock. He is an award-winning marketing and visibility coach, author and host of the Chasing the Insights podcast, and co-host of the NFT Ninjas podcast, an ex-radio announcer with 20 years in marketing. Vince has been presented with numerous awards, including being included in the Fearless 50, a program designed by Adobe to recognize the top 50 marketers in the world, previously CMO at Cigna, Vince has founded multiple companies, including ATG Publishing, Kanji Club NFTs, The Christmas Ninjas, and Chasing the Insights, where he empowers entrepreneurs and business owners to get seen, get published, and position themselves as the thought leader they are. Welcome to the show, Vince. Oh, thank you so much for having me here, Michael. Honestly, uh, just selfishly, any chance to catch up with you, we know we're going to have a lot of fun, but we can record a podcast at the same time. That's awesome. Even better. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we just kind of hang out, hit record, and call it a show. Exactly. Is, I think the I think this is my second time interviewing you, and you interviewed me once, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, yeah, I think that's about right. I'm, yep. I lose track of everything, man. I think half the time I think I'm interviewing you, but we're actually just catching up. <laughs> yeah. Wait, are we recording? Is this show? It's, it's, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yep. Um, so on this show, we have the traditional first three questions of how yeah. are you successful, are you neurodiverse, and how did the one lead to the other? Um, so obviously the bio talked about a few of those things. But yeah. uh, tell us a little bit about how you're successful. Why do people want to be like you, Vince? Oh, now, see, now those are two very different questions. <laughs> how am I successful? That I can answer. Why do people want to be like me? I think because they're slightly mentally unbalanced. Now, um, so, <laughs> uh, no, look, I, you know, I've been doing marketing for 30 plus years. So I've been, you know, we've read a lot of that out in the bio there. I uh, worked on radio and one of our, in fact, our top radio station here. I was an on-air announcer for a number of years. Uh, and built and sold companies. And I, I still remember, Michael, came off the back of selling my largest um, startup, which is a, a multi-eight-figure exit after about three and a half years of extreme anxiety and stress. Um, so as anyone knows, when you're building a high-growth tech startup, um, but came off the back of selling that and joined the team at Signa Insurance. So that in itself, 
you know, the startup, the exit, all those things, you know, equate to success in a lot of people's eyes. Um, then joining the team at Signal Insurance, I became the chief marketing officer there. Uh, and I was at Signal for five years. And in that time, I, I mean, first of all, the pay was ludicrous. Like, it really is the kind of dream job when you're a marketer. Like, we're hitting the CMO level at a Fortune 100 company is pretty much the epitome of most marketers' careers, right? So that in itself, you know, a lot of people consider success. Uh, and then, you know, obviously the pay went with that. It was a ridiculous amount of pay. The bonuses were embarrassing. I actually had to get my head around the bonuses when you're sitting with a bunch of C-suite executives and they're like, oh, bonus time coming up. What are you going to do with yours? Oh, I might buy another house in the Hamptons. You're like, oh, guys. Like, it just, it was weird for me to get my head around. But again, <laughs> that's what a lot of people equate as success. Got to got the recognition and got the results uh, for the business as well. We, we pretty much doubled the revenue over five years. A lot of that to do with the work in online that I was doing. Um, and then that got me the recognition. So I got, you know, a number of awards internally, externally. And as you see, got recognized by Adobe as one of the top 50 marketers in the world. Published my first book when I'm there. On paper, all of this is just absolute success. You know, I looked at it. In fact, I actually remember, Michael, sitting in my sitting in my office. I had the largest office in our building. I was like, yeah, this is awesome. Looking out the window at the cruise ships coming in. And I was literally writing a list of why I should be happy with my job. But I wasn't. I was miserable and mm. I realized that none of, even though all of that is successful and I'm very, I'm very, you know, aware of how privileged I am to be in those opportunities and to have those kind of results and things. I was also quite far removed from what I'm, what's important to me, which is helping other people. So that's kind of start, sparked the, the next kind of, I guess, uh, part of my journey. Uh, I remember November, December, 2019 telling my CEO, uh, I think it's time for me to move on. And she was like, no, no, it's not. I went, yeah, no, it is. I'm going to go off and become a full-time author. And she goes, okay, well, I've got a friend I need you to talk to. They're a psychologist. And I said, I'm not having a breakdown. And she goes, I think you are because you, you, you seem to forget how much we pay you. Um, so made the decision to leave there to become a full-time author. And that lasted about a week because the ADHD kicked in, which I'll tell you about soon. Um, and then really kind of branched out into what I'm doing now and Having a podcast that's in the top 5% globally, um, that's in 78 countries of the world, that's won awards and things, that's been incredibly humbling. And a lot of that's down to the quality of guests I have on there. Nudge, nudge, Michael. Uh, <laughs> so, but yeah, so all of that, I guess, equates to what a lot of people would uh, desire, would kind of describe as success. But I can honestly say that the phase of my journey that I'm in now, I feel like the most successful ever. And that's because I get to work at the front of where I'm passionate, which is helping other people, helping entrepreneurs. And that for me is insanely fulfilling. Uh, when you see people get the rewards, when you see them get the results, when you see them you know, closing the deals or even shifting their entire business, it's just, it's incredible. So yeah, being very, very blessed. Um, the neurodiversity aspect onto mm -hmm. the next question um, uh, kind of came out in there. I, I have quite severe ADHD, um, mm -hmm. which I've known you know, since I knew about ADHD, basically, and I'm quite glad they hadn't invented it when I was a kid, because I would have been, you know, medicated to the eyeballs in Ritalin. Um, but, but fortunately, I was just that, you know, troublesome child. Um, so, so kind of fast forward, and I still remember when I left Signa, I was like, right, I'm going to be a full-time author. So I got my laptop, I positioned myself down, because I know I need to be surrounded by noise, which is how part of my brain starts to shut out other uh, stimuli. So I went down to a local bar and I sat there during the day, you know, lunchtime and that, writing away and everything. 
Um, after about a week, I realized writing a book full time with ADHD is the stupidest idea I've ever had. I need multiple things to work on so that my brain can stay in that kind of creative space, I guess, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and also, uh, along with the ADHD comes a, a very common companion to ADHD, which is RSD, which is rejection sensitivity, sensitivity dysphoria. And um, this is something that can be quite crippling for a lot of people and a lot of entrepreneurs and for myself as well. Um, it results in a lot of anxiety and depression and things like that, and a lot of mental health challenges. Uh, but it's that fear, that unrealistic fear that you're constantly going to be rejected uh, in scenarios. And by avoiding those scenarios, weirdly, you end up in this self-prophesying cycle of, funny enough, being rejected. <laughs> so so it's uh, that's quite a, um, a nasty one to have to deal with. But the two of these things do align. And as in the neurodiversity and the success, they do align because one of the things I, I had to realize about ADHD is it is, it is you know, we talk about this and it's kind of overused term. We talk about it being a superpower. But essentially what it is, even though it's got disorder in the name, and I really don't like that word, um, the reality is it's just a different way of thinking. And it comes with downsides, obviously. You know, writing a book full-time with it is, is not conducive to good mental health. Um, but it also comes with incredible upsides. And one of the, the superpowers that I have is my ability to operate in a creative space and creative energy. And I don't mean that in the woo-woo sense. I mean that in the sense of whenever there is a challenge that comes up. Like a good example, we're working on the Christmas Ninja NFT uh, project, uh, which is our chance to really kind of impact the world and help people rewire their brains. Um, it's all based on neuroscience. And, oh, man, it's so much fun. But in doing that, you know, we launched one of our part, or part of our collection right when the market collapsed. And it was like, okay, and every project around us was genuinely struggling. They're all going, hey, you know, nobody's buying our stuff because the liquidity and market has just dried up. You know, everyone's lost like you know, three quarters of their uh, value of their assets and all these kind of things. So, so we had to get really creative. And for me, it's like, okay, this is where I go into full ADHD mode. Let's do this. And I go into all these creative sidelines and shiny objects. And, and next thing you know, we've come up with a solution that actually helps us to deal with the lack of liquidity in market. And so, so a lot of this stuff really is a superpower if you learn to channel it in the right way. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's the the creative thing is definitely something I hear hear a lot about. Um, and is someone recently? I wish I could remember who. Someone might have been on the show. Uh, yeah. Mentioned that with ADHD, one of the things we need is to be challenged, which I hadn't realized, but makes a lot of sense. That yeah, totally. that I, I would say ADHD is the clinical inability to pay attention to boring things. Yes. But but yes. I think the, I think the flip side is if there's a challenge to it, to yeah. a to a puzzle, math problem, whatever. Whereas, you know, once you're writing a book full-time, it's not a challenge. It's just get words onto yeah, yeah, yeah. page. Um, <laughs> there's, not, there's nothing to keep it engaged. So you need that challenge. That's the challenge where you get creative and you start making things up and launching 100%. podcasts and building community. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, doing all stuff because that's what our, what our brain does. Yeah. Um, yep. And, and so tell us a bit more about the Christmas Ninjas NFT. Ah, uh, yes. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> this is so much fun. If, if you're not familiar with NFTs, Basically, just think digital assets that have a contract wrapped around them. I know it sounds really weird, but mm-hmm. hear me out on this. So all of this came from something that was around long before NFTs. Uh, and it was a children's book that I wrote about 15 years ago, I think it worked out. It was when my son was, who's our youngest, when he was four. And we tried to tell him about Santa Claus. And he just gave me that look of, really, Dad, do you think I'm that stupid? <laughs> and so I thought, I know he's never going to fall for this. So we had to tell him the truth. And we said, look, you can't tell your friends. 
Santa Claus ain't real. It's just something that uh, parents make up to make their kids behave. And in saying that, a few things kind of happened in parallel. Firstly, he turned around and said the coolest thing out of a four-year-old's mouth. He just said, look, Dad, you're going to make up stories, make them interesting, and put you see his brain working. He goes, put, put, put ninjas in them. And I'm like, yes, this is the coolest idea. But the other thing that happened was it made me realize how uncomfortable I was with this concept of, hey, behave yourself, and you will get rewarded. You'll get a gift. Mm. And let's get real realistic about what that means. It basically means do as you're told, and you will be rewarded for that. So do what your parents or your teachers tell you, yeah. or even in corporate life. And you and I were talking beforehand, you know, corporate life, it's, hey, toe the line. Do what your leaders tell you. Do what your bosses tell you. Do what your employers tell you. And you'll, you know, A, have a job, and then you'll get your, your pay rise and your bonuses and all those kind of things as well. And I think this is a really unhealthy culture because yeah. it's it's an entitled culture and it's a culture of expectation there. But as a proud dad of two kids, I wanted so much more for my children and I want so much more for people as well. I want us to aspire to be a better human being. And there's so much more to that than just doing as you're told. So we wrote the Christmas Ninja story. It's where we combine all the Christmas traditions. You got little baby Jesus in the manger, wise men coming down, Christmas Ninja stealthily following them until she gets to the manger and then has to defend Jesus from Santa and his evil ninja elf clan. So long story short, Santa gets defeated. Him and the elves get banished to the North Pole. And then as penance, once a year, they have to deliver presents to the kids. But now the Christmas Ninja goes on her new journey, which is to find people that demonstrate the best in humanity. And these are the traits of the ninja, which are honor, kindness, courage, compassion, and selflessness. And when she finds people that demonstrate these values, she deems them worthy, bestows upon them a gift, and then they become a Christmas ninja as well. So that started, at, that was the story we wrote. I never did the artwork, by the way, because if you've ever seen my artwork, you'll know that a good artwork doesn't come with ADHD, apparently, or at least I certainly can't do it. So, um, so I wrote the story, and it also launched our family tradition, where once a year we would pick a person each that we think demonstrates those behaviors. And on hmm. Christmas morning, we would go out and deliver this anonymous gift from the Christmas ninja. And over 15 years, a whole pile of things happened. Firstly, we had a lot of fun. Honestly, the kids took it real seriously, not just delivering the presents without getting seen. And, and I'm talking my daughter commando crawling under hedges, me climbing a three-story building to put it on a balcony, all sorts of stuff like that we had fun with. But the whole process of actually choosing the person to deem worthy, that was something my kids took serious. My son, when he was like seven, sat there with a spreadsheet open of all of his friends, looking at what makes all of his friends so amazing. And he had all these things listed out, trying to pick who of those is most deserved of the Christmas Ninja. And then fast forward 15 years, and you know we get to the point where we realize that this is something that is now spread. Uh, it's obviously spread around New Zealand, where I'm based. You know, We come across people all the time that go, hey, I got this gift of the Christmas Ninja. And we're going, I've never met this person before. So obviously someone else has done this. But now we've found people in the US and UK, Canada, South Africa, Australia that have been deemed worthy of a Christmas ninja as well. So it's obviously spread around the world. So we thought, ha, I, A, I want to get this book done, right? I actually want to get the artwork done for it so I can bring it to the world and inspire people to want to be better. So I teamed up with this beautiful artist out of Australia. And we sat down and we were like, right, let's talk about this book. And then the moment we started talking, we realized we were very much aligned and wanting to make an impact on this world. So we thought, let's take it further. Let's create an NFT series that's all based around neuroscience. Because when you understand what's happened over those 15 years, when you're constantly and consistently looking for the good in other people, guess what happens? Your brain literally rewires itself. You have this thing called the reticular activating system, which is like your, your filter for your brain. 
and it tries to block out 99.9% of the input that comes into your brain because it's not relevant. But when you're constantly looking for the good in other people, your brain goes, oh, okay, hang on, that's relevant now. So I'm going to show you that in everyone. Mm. I'm going to show you the good and the potential in every single person you come across, not just the people that you agree with or the people in your friend circle, but people you might have a, dif- a different religious uh, view, worldview, um, you know, um, political view too. We're going to show you the good in all of them as well. So it really does change the way that you perceive people. So yeah, so I put together a team. We put together a fully, what we call fully dots, which means, you know, real world people that you can look up at Google. Um, a whole team of seven founders around that. Uh, I'm the only guy there, which is by design. I wanted to make sure that we actually are part of the solution to underrepresentation of uh, women in the space. Uh, and then we set about bringing this thing to life. So we've got a whole like clothing line coming out on it. We've got the Ninja Academy where we train every holder of the Christmas Ninja NFT how to be you know more resilient, how to be more courageous, how to be more kind and selfless and things as well. So yeah, it's something where it is just a passion project for me, but it's something where I can see us having a huge impact in the world. Hmm, fascinating. And and so so with this NFT, do people buy in? To, to be part of the the movement do they buy in to get access to the program what's what what is the yep. what's the value proposition because presumably they give yep. you money in exchange for something yeah they give us money in exchange obviously for the nft but that nft is their access to a number of things it's the access to the ninja academy and we do that via discord but we also we now have a whole metaverse um land thing that we're setting up in the isles of meta where we've got an island there called ninja island where you go to and it's it's Honestly, this thing is freaking beautiful. It's all done in like Unreal Engine 5 for the gamers. So like the, when you go there, the grass is blowing in the wind. Oh, wow, okay. Realistic. And you get to walk around that and interact and, and train and things like that as well. Okay, so this, so this yeah. is not a bubble head with no legs. No, 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 no. It's it's like real world looking avatar type thing. It's it's incredible. So you get to hang out in that metaverse and, and you know um, hang out with people that are going to train you on how to like deal with imposter syndrome or how to um, you know deal with anxiety and stress or how to build resilience, these kind of things. So things that are going to help you in your mm-hmm. life and help you to be the leader that you're called to be. So that's what they get access to there. But they also get access to a whole pile of other things, including you know our merch line. Um, we're doing comic book series based on the the story. We've we've got this whole expanded universe of stories, man. Like there's even the Christmas chicken. He was a, a chicken that was in the manger that was saw all the animals, even though he was petrified and really afraid, he saw the fear in all the other animals when this attack happened and decided that he needed to step up. So he stood alongside uh, you know, the Christmas ninja and defended all the animals. And now he's on a mission roaming the land looking for animals that are worthy of those traits, you know, like the the dog that pulls people out of the lake or the cat that sets off the fire alarm and saves the owners and all those kind of things as well. So so we have these expanded storylines and all this kind of stuff that we're doing. Plus, we have an annual Christmas party, and we're going to break the Guinness Book of World Records for the largest online Christmas party. We've got concerts. We've got a lot of musicians, pretty high-profile musicians and celebrities all lined up as well. Uh, we've got basketball players. We've got all sorts of things in there. So, so yeah, we've got big, big plans, uh, and we're also launching – in fact, this is a sneak peek into where we're heading with this. We're going to be launching the International Recognition Awards, uh, which is where – we shine a spotlight on the people that you normally don't see. So this is the mum and dad who you know give up their time, their energy, their money to to help the homeless, uh, or it's the person that puts their life on the line for you and I to keep us safe and alive every day. The people that you don't normally hear about, we want to hold them up, shine a spotlight on them, and say, you know what, this is what makes humanity great. Mm. This is what we should aspire to be like. Not some celebrity, not some sports player, not some you know 
not not Jim Sim, certainly not a Kardashian. You know, but none of those kind of things. They're not the role models that we want in this world. These people are the role models. This is what makes us as humans so incredible, and we really are incredible. So, yeah, so that's some of the stuff that you get for for basically owning a Christmas Ninja NFT. Wow, yeah, quite a thing. And, and yeah, getting back to like, how does the ADHD tie into that? I can see how. <laughs> That there yep. might be some ADHD in this, uh, yeah. in this. Sort um, of thing. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, the team joke. In fact, um, the, the joke about it is uh, every single one of our founders is ADHD, um, which makes it really difficult for our operations person because their job, I call it wrangling cats. They say mm-hmm. that their job is to harness the superpower that is in each individual founding member, and I'm like, that's such a politically correct way of wording. The fact that you have a really difficult job, <laughs> so, mm-hmm. yeah, yep. So, um, but it really does come from that, and the creativity and the storytelling element comes out of that as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah it sounds like a, a really interesting concept, and I, I really like the, 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 the neuroscience angle you're yeah. going with there. Yeah, it, it's like what they say. Yeah, you know, when you when, when I first bought a, a silver Honda Civic, and then <laughs> I noticed ha- silver Honda Civics everywhere. I never noticed yeah. them before. They're already there. But That's my brain's building them out. Same thing. If you're yeah. looking for hostility, if you're looking for things to hate in the world, you'll find them. If you're looking for kindness yeah. and yeah. and gentleness in the world, and you're looking for good people, you'll find them. Yeah. And and this is the, the challenge we have in the world at the moment as well, is um, if you watch the news, it's going to be incredibly hard for you to see the positive aspects of humanity. Mm-hmm. Because we're surrounded by political divide. We're surrounded by... Um, you know, violence and hatred. We're surrounded by, you know, issues around race relations and gender equality. We're surrounded by a pandemic and a, a war in the Ukraine, um, you know, supply chain ch- chain shortages everywhere. Basically, the world's a bit of a mess, essentially, mm-hmm. <laughs> to put it in a nutshell. So if you're surrounding yourself with that and you're focused on that, and this is the input that you're putting into your brain all the time, then that's what you're going to see. But what we're doing is we want to get beyond that to actually showcase the fact that in amongst all of this divide, in amongst all of this angst and this, this issues that are in the world, there are also incredibly good people mm-hmm. and doing incredibly good things as well. And, yep. and this is where another aspect, I guess, of the neurodiversity kind of factors into it, Michael, which is the, the RSD. Because when you fear rejection um, and when your rejection is just you know, sensitive, then it actually teaches you to be very empathetic towards other people because you know what mm-hmm. it's like to be afraid and you know what it's like to be anxious and you know to have this this insecurity all the time so when you you know it's it's like the old adage when you go through much you can forgive much you know or those that are being Mm. forgiven much forgive much it's the same kind of principle there where when you go through all of this uh, anxiety and this these issues and this the mental health challenges with rsd then you can understand how other people are wired and you can be there for them so this strong sense of empathy definitely comes out in the project. Comes out in pretty much everything we do as well. Yeah, that sounds really powerful and and like really good work. And uh, yeah, I, I think that that filtering concept, since you're talking about you know the news and how uh, so they, you know there's there's a zillion things. You know, there's eight billion people in the world. There's eight billion things happening at any given time because they're all doing something. Whatever. Yeah. You know, some are watching TV. Some are changing the world. Some are robbing a bank. But they're all doing yeah. something. And so if you're summing up in a 30-minute newscast, yeah. you could totally have a 30-minute newscast that's just good news. Easy. Yeah. You could have yeah. a 30-minute newscast that's just good news in you know New London County. Yeah. But 
you could also have a 30-minute newscast that's every crime that happened in a 500-mile <laughs> and, and that's what we do. And I, I don't know if, if they do it on, on your side of the ocean, but oh, yeah. certainly here they cherry-pick. You know, if there is a school shooting anywhere in the United States, you hear yeah. about it as if it happened in your backyard. Oh, if we, we hear is, about it over here. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. yep. And and so the impression is, you know, it's a war zone. Oh my god. Oh, another school shooting. Oh, another, you know, another racist police incident. Another and no, these are terrible things. And they yeah, of course. They but statistically, if you're like when people say I'm afraid to send my kids to school because it's so dangerous. Yeah. Well, statistically, there's 190,000 schools in the United States mm-hmm. and there's a an event, you know, there's a tragedy at one of them every 2 months. Yeah. You're more likely to be struck by an asteroid, or by by a meteorite, than yeah. than to be in a school having a school shooting, and then it's still a one in a hundred chance that you'd be actually in the line of fire. But people yeah. don't think that way. They think about you know they really focus on if, if it bleeds, it leads. You know the old yeah. old saying from the the media. The thing is, this is this is how the news is wired though, and people need to really do understand what the news is there for. Mm-hmm. Obviously, there are things on the news that are relevant for all of us. You know, like how your local regions dealing with the pandemic and things like that as well, or what mm-hmm. you should know around these things. Sometimes political scandals actually are relevant to us. You know, if there's something that's particularly damaging out there or particularly a view which is really damaging to yep. other people, or hurtful, or hateful, then we need to know about that. Otherwise, you know, you, you make mistakes when voting, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, the fact is, though, the rest of the news is very much generated around what you're going to click on or what you're yep. going to view. And we had an old adage on radio when we were doing the news. Um, it said, everyone loves a rags to riches story, but the one thing they love even more is a riches to rags story. In other words, people are fascinated by the downfall. They're fascinated by the negative. They like to be shocked. They like mm-hmm. to be, you know, because if you think about it, most of us are insecure. Yep. Most of us, are, are, look at the world at the moment with the economy the way it is. Most of us are worried. You know, most people, yep. even the, the really secure ones will still have some kind of concern and doubt there. So these news stories, feed that fear and mm-hmm. they play on that fear and often we want something that's going to justify the way we're, we're feeling so if you're feeling fearful you will click on every title about why you should be fearful you know mexicans are coming in and take your jobs or other rhetoric like that that you're going to hear over and over mm-hmm. so stuff that logically in a lot of cases doesn't make any sense but it feeds your brain and feeds that sense of oh yeah i feel justified yeah. in the way i feel so let's I, I, change the way we feel. Let's change the way we, we're focused. It's, yeah. That's our goal. Yeah. Well, I, I think it was last year that they did a survey and they asked people, um, how, how do you think the economy is doing in the United States? Yep. And yep. How, how are you doing? Like you're part of the yeah. economy. And some huge percentage said the economy's going down. The economy's crashing. And a huge percentage said, I'm doing great. I'm doing better than I've ever done. <laughs> yeah. So like every individual thought they were doing good, but, but the whole thing is falling apart. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. because that's what they've been they've been told and of course they're afraid so they look for that news so the news feeds them that so um yeah. and to get that that reinforced and it, it, you know even uh my, my my newest podcast i'm calling networking nightmares because everyone loves a good train wreck story so i'm like let's <laughs> i'm like let's teach people how to do it right by they, you're, you're part of how... the problem michael i love it yeah yeah <laughs> but yeah it, it's you know let's teach people how to do it right by showing them yeah. how people are doing it wrong yeah. um and but with the, with the angle of what can we learn from this? How can we not be that guy? Um, but yeah, it, it's definitely it's easier to. I, I think it'll be easier to listens to listeners to networking nightmares than you know how to be a great networker. 
Yep. Because that sounds like work. Making fun of people oh, we're doing it badly. I was gonna say I could do I could do a whole stream of podcast episodes on just the nightmare pitches I get from people to be on the show. So yeah. my favorite actually I'm totally divergent here, but I hate to neurodivergent podcast, but um the, my favorite was a guy that um that's all about hair uh, transplants. So he emailed me and said, Look, I'd love to be a guest on your show. I think it's a really important topic for entrepreneurs so that they don't feel ashamed and hide away from the world. They can have the confidence to be able to you know, get in front of a camera and talk to people by using hair transplants. <laughs> now, two problems with that. Number one, if you see a photo of this guy, and he's a, he seems like a really nice guy, his hair is very wispy. He's obviously in the early stages of this. I'm thinking it's not a great visual kind of cue for this. The second problem was he said, even you, Vince, as a bald man, and I'm a very bald man, even you as a bald man can stop hiding away from the world, stop feeling ashamed being on camera, and actually turn up confidence with hair transplants. I'm like, dude, I was born on camera. I love being on camera. You get me in front of a crowd, I'm a happy man, bald or hair or not. It doesn't really matter. So totally missed the uh, – didn't wow. read the room properly at all. <laughs> so clearly I need we need to do a fourth interview where you come on network. <laughs> Yeah, networking yes. nightmares. Definitely got to get you on there. Um, yeah. But but yeah, yeah, it, it's it's about people are are you know you're looking for things and, and you know, people just just they're drawn to the negative. And I've heard some evolutionary explanations that you know good news is good, but bad news is like the lion is coming right now and yeah, about yeah. to eat us. Keeps you safe. Yeah. So if you miss some good news, uh, darn, you miss some bad news, lion chow. Exactly. So you don't pass on your genes if you miss the bad news. Yeah. But we, we genuinely do think we can change people's perspective. And, and mm -hmm. our goal, like if we talked about media, funny enough, one of our goals, we, we talked about what does success look like for us as a project. And one of the success metrics, which was quite high, is that we actually start to shift the way that people report and, and what's on the news and what's in media. And we actually start mm -hmm. to see a lot of the, the better news stories um, actually being displayed. And a great example, I was just talking with a woman this morning um, who's you know becoming one of my clients and her story like she just spent three years helping her sister through addiction mm -hmm. and in doing that wrote literally a toolbox a toolbox as a book on how to deal with addiction from a family's perspective she was given this book out that like she's a lawyer she doesn't this is not her business or anything she's a lawyer so she's this book is just something she gives away to people it's something that she puts out there for other people to help them and i'm like most people don't even know you're doing this. And mm -hmm. one of the local, she, she pitched to be in local news and said, look, we're doing all this work to help people with addictions. And they're like, uh, yeah, I'm not sure it's really that interesting to people. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Do you know how powerful that is? Like any family that's dealing with addiction, which by the way, is a lot, um, will be crying out for this kind of information, but the media won't pick it up because it's not really sensationalist enough. So yeah. So things like that, we want to start to see more of that positive aspect or more of the people changing the world aspect in the mm -hmm. news to actually showcase what we should be aspiring to be like. Yeah, that, that's that's hugely powerful. And yeah. and, I, and I can certainly see the, the value that could have on a larger scale because I've been able to curate the community that I run in. So yeah, yeah. I will occasionally go outside of, of my bubble of abundance-minded entrepreneurs and yeah. deal with the public and sometimes do stuff you know locally in the local yeah. community local government and i'm like oh right this is where most people's heads are at that they're <laughs> they're afraid they're they're in scarcity yeah. they're in um you know that they're constantly in fear they don't trust people they don't like to work with people they don't think anything can be created they got fixed yeah. mindset and and i'm like wow oh oh yeah. that's 
I, I saw this uh. the um, last week, actually, Michael, because a lot of the entrepreneurs I deal with, they, they're generally pretty positive people. You know, They're usually people that have left corporate life. They're probably ADHD, most of them, to be honest. We're 300% more likely to start a business, by the way, with ADHD. Yeah, I thought yeah. that was fascinating. Um, so a lot of the people I deal with are in that space. They're very creative. They're very solution-focused. But uh, I did a, um, I helped out a research company here that was doing a small business panel uh, to, to interview small businesses around where they get their information from. So this is a panel, 30, 30 businesses, and it was literally about where you get your information from as a business, where you get your tax info, where you get your accounting info, where you get your you know, legal info, all these kind of things, HR info. And the topic came up multiple times from different individuals within, in fact, just about every single one at some point talked about mental health challenges, talked about depression, talked about suicide, talked about the challenge that it is out there. And it was hard. It was really hard sitting on that panel. I'm sitting there as one of the businesses because I'm, I'm like a mystery shopper. So I'm just basically making sure that the person that hosted isn't adding elements of cognitive bias in there or isn't accidentally pushing people in a certain direction and things like that. And they did a fantastic job. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was really depressing to be around all that energy and realizing that people are hurting. People are genuinely afraid and genuinely hurting in the world. And any chance we can get to, to positively impact that, I think is going to be incredibly fulfilling and incredibly worthwhile. Yeah, I see it being really powerful. And it's a very diff- challenging time in in economic history because uh, yeah. there was a time when there was that safe option. You know, you get a job and they'll take care of you and, and you'll have your career and you'll retire. Um, and then yeah. the 80s came and that yeah. wasn't the time anymore. And now yeah. is a time where, where the, the safe path is one where you have diminishing wages and yeah. uncertain future and very little control. Um, and you're just awash a at sea without a sail or an oar um, in the economy, or you can be an entrepreneur with all the rest of that entails. <laughs> and the, the funny thing is, I thought you were talking about entrepreneurs there. <laughs> like, it pretty much applies to both. It, yeah. It's gotten to the point where I, mean, I I feel much more comfortable being an entrepreneur than being an employee, because because my, my wife works a, a regular job and and a pretty good job as such things go, good benefits and yeah. and all the rest. Um, and I'm an entrepreneur, and the thing is, I you know I have ups and downs, but when I have a down, I know okay, let's sit down and re-strategize and figure out how we get up. What's the new program yeah. we need to do? Who do I need to meet? What do I need to? Whereas when prices go up, and you know if we have eight percent inflation and her income is fixed, then there's nothing she can do about it other than take on a side job or you know, a side hustle or something. There's like, she's attached to that. Um, and, yeah, and you know, she, she could be, her job is quite secure as such things go, but you know, she could be fired. She could be laid off. She could. Mm-hmm. And I guess that, that's the other aspect I think people found during the pandemic as well is, you know, and this is why we've seen this kind of great resignation and the kind of push mm-hmm. towards entrepreneurship is because a lot of people were afraid to start something new because of, you know, potentially the risk involved, the sense of failure, all those kind of things. So they stayed with what they perceived as being safe, which is mm-hmm. your corporate job or, you know, your job, your day job, you know, your fixed job. So working full time for somebody else was perceived as security. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden the pandemic happened and they're like, oh, that thing that I thought was secure, it turns out it's not as secure as I thought. And we saw that here with you know, some pretty large companies. In fact, people I know and trust um, making dumb decisions like laying off two thirds of their staff just to protect their bottom line. And I'm like, why like in the middle of a lockdown in the middle of a pandemic when people are going to find it difficult to find new jobs 
that was a pretty crappy thing to do. So it really was mm -hmm. a wake up call for a lot of people to go, the thing that I thought was safe, the thing that I thought was my future turned out to be not there for me. I was there for it. So, um, mm -hmm. so that's why this big push towards entrepreneurship. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. And, it, and, and, it, and there's, yeah, there's so much more control. Now, you, control goes both ways, but oh, yeah, there's so much yeah. more control in entrepreneurship, so you control those options. Um, and, and as people with ADHD learn, when you control your work environment, you can be, you know, because a lot of people with ADHD out there, like, they, they're they're not good workers. No. Because um, they get distracted, they get bored. But sometimes it's just, that's, you know, like, I, I've learned that I'm good at, if I need to sit down and do something, you know, work, work. I need to do that in the yep. morning. Like that's got to be before yep. noon. Meetings, interviews, those can be afternoon because I'm an extrovert and that gives energy. Yep. But yeah, I'm very. But you know, but if if I worked in a corporate office and they're like, well, the morning meetings at nine a.m. Well, nine a.m. is when I'm at my best. So that's when you have me in a meeting. Um, and yep. then they'd be like, why are you so lazy? Well, because my best time to work is nine to ten thirty, and that's when the meeting yep. is. So yeah, I I saw this um and even in corporate when I was at Cigna, uh, I was in a team meeting yeah with the the rest of the senior leaders. And I realized about halfway into the meeting, I had not heard a single thing anyone had said. I was so, my energy was all over the show. I, my creative energy was flowing majorly. I was thinking about this problem that we were having and yep. thinking about solutions to that and realized all these people were talking. I hadn't heard a single word. Wah, wah, and that's wah, a wah, scary wah, wah, feeling. Wah, wah, wah. Exactly. It was the whole Charlie Brown syndrome, you know, wah, 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 wah. and <laughs> that's kind of scary as well. And, and it's kind of interesting because in corporates, particularly at C-suite level, um, that's a nerve wracking job. And we had 12 senior leaders on the team. And I can honestly say the majority of those, in fact, if not all of those, were incredibly patch protective and defensive because of that inherent fear of failure. And that fear of, hey, if I screw this up, I'll be out on my butt and I won't have another job. And you're kind of at the pinnacle of your career. Where do you go from there? Mm -hmm. Do you go down? Do you go sideways? Do you go you no? Know? So it's a scary prospect for a lot of people. So when you're in a meeting like that and you suddenly realize I haven't paid attention to anything that's going on, I'm like, oh, crap, I'm in trouble. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I just ADHD people are not really designed for corporate. I, I must admit, I did well in corporate, but that was a lot of anxiety and stress as well because it's not what I'm, I'm wired for. Yeah, yeah, it's a matter of um, – so uh... – Christina Hooper, she runs a, a marketing agency where all of her team, and she later realized all of her clients are neurodiverse. Yeah, um, nice. yeah, and yeah. so once they realized that they could be open about it, and and someone could say, like, you know, I'm I'm not in a headspace to be able to do meetings this morning, so we're going to need to reschedule this. And it yeah. wasn't like, you're weird, what's wrong with you? It's like, oh, okay, well, I want you to actually listen when I talk, so let's do it tomorrow. Yeah. Um, exactly. So, you know, yeah. do, do something else now. We'll talk in the afternoon because people can be honest about about like you know my my i'm exploding with ideas right now i really gotta yeah. like now's the time you want me building a website not sitting in a meeting so can we talk tomorrow I love that. um I, and I they just, can be I honest probably should have stolen that idea i love it yeah <laughs> awesome yep but but you know you have to admit that you're not a a you know predictable robot which you know yeah. c-suite you should which is funny because at the c-suite they're hiring you to be smart and creative and dynamic <laughs> like everyone else the people down in the cubicles those are supposed to be predictable yeah. robots they're paying you the big bucks because you are unique and dynamic and creative, but of course, only the superpowers, not the weaknesses. Exactly. I was going to say uh, a little insight into corporate culture for everybody. Those, um, those, you know, predictable uh, the the creativity and things that they hire you for, you know, the uniqueness they hire you for. 
uh, really, most of the time, they hire you to be a yes person, and they hire you to. And, and this is a common conversation I keep having with you know my CEO and with their board is like, why don't we just do it the way we used to do it, Vince? Because the way we used to do it didn't work, but maybe we can do it just a little bit better, because that's what they're used to. They weren't used to people challenging the entire way that we're operating or the entire way that we're marketing this business. You know, like. Let's actually take some risks with these things. Oh, you said the R word, you know. So <laughs> it's yeah. <laughs> the the good thing is when I started there, actually, the, the first CEO I, I had there, um, literally hired myself and a bunch of other people to challenge the status quo. Like this is very mm. much an entrepreneur running a corporate, and there was a very unique perspective to come in from. So there was actually quite a lot of creative freedom early on. So it actually didn't feel like a corporate. So I I loved my first few years there. And then I hated the next few years. It was like, oh my goodness, I'm dying on the inside. Yeah, yeah. Right. Something I heard once, which is somewhat relevant, is the the expression, "No one ever, no one ever got fired for buying Salesforce." <laughs> uh, and, and this was from you know, entrepreneurial product creation, but the same idea. Yep, yep, yep. I was. Yeah. You, you I may was have a product say. that's twice as good, but nobody wants to stick their neck because you take the risk. Yep. If you're right, ah, you know, well, okay, we, we, we're all right together. If you're yeah, wrong, exactly. you're out. I, I honestly, the, the funniest part about that, the funniest part about all of that is that may be an exact scenario that happened, but I won't confirm nor deny that. So, <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. Yeah. We find even in our local town, it's a, it's a uh, town council. So there's nine yeah. people that distribute responsibility and oh. blame. So if you've got an idea and it's good, the whole council came up with it. If it's yeah. bad, it's yours. Yeah, yeah exactly. And oh, thus, man. nothing good happens. It's and awesome. you, you see why we want to change the way people perceive others. And we want to change the way people think as well. And we would like part of it is being open and honest about neurodiversity as well. Mm -hmm. and, and not just neurodiversity, but open and honest about the fact that we're all human. We all make mistakes. We all have bad days. We all have good days. We all have different ways of operating. And it's a-okay. Um, it's one of the things I've had to teach a lot of my clients is, you know what? It's actually okay to have a really crappy day. It really is. I had to learn that myself. I had to learn that it was actually part of me. In fact, one of the best pieces of advice I ever got because I, I grew up in a, I grew up in a horrible environment, Michael. I grew up in an abusive household. I had a uh, ex-convict father who was a drug addict, and my mother was an alcoholic. And I grew up without any kind of role models in the space, you know, like at all. And I had to learn. I, I remember one of my first businesses failed quite majorly, and I'm like, okay, well, this is a bummer. You know, I was quite young. I was like 20-something. I'm like, oh, poor me, poor me. And I was talking to a friend of mine. I'm like, why is it happening to me? You know, um, why, why don't I get the same opportunity other people get? You know, other people had um, parents or mentors who could show them a lot of the mistakes that I've already just made so they don't have to make those mistakes themselves. They can teach them all this kind of stuff. And I was having a pity party. And he turned around to me and just said, look, you do realize, Vince, that everything you go through counts for something. And I didn't quite know what he meant at first, but he said, whether it's the good, the bad, the ugly, all of those things, the good days, the bad days, they all count to make you who you are. And who you are is quite awesome. And I realize it's the same for every single one of us. You know, we're allowed good days and we're allowed bad days. They actually teach you empathy. They mm -hmm. teach you how to be there for other people. They teach you your own limitations or your own things you need to break through, your own you know, things holding you back. So everything we go through, I, I have no regrets uh, at all in my past. I don't treat them as regrets. I treat them as just lessons that I've learned along the way. I love it. That's an, and that's an amazing place to leave us. Um, <laughs> so if people are interested in uh, connecting with you or learning more about the, yep. NFT, the uh, Christmas Ninjas or anything else, what is the best way for them to connect with you? 
well. Uh, smoke signals work well. Uh, otherwise, pigeons with little things tied to them. No, um, just go to chasingtheinsights.com. Uh, on there, you're going to see a bunch of stuff. You're going to see where you can book a free strategy call with me. Uh, you're going to see links to all my social media. Connect with me everywhere. Unless you're a spammer, I love connecting with people. Uh, this is why I like Michael so much. He's the guy that knows a guy. Well, guess what? I'm a guy. <laughs> so there we go. Um, but also, you'll see a link there to the Christmas Ninja Project. And that's where you can uh, you know, you can get involved. You don't have to own a Christmas Ninja to be part of our community. You can come into our Discord server, get to know everyone in there and get to challenge the way that you think, but also make a positive impact in this world. Mm, that sounds pretty cool. I should do that. I think you I will. Yeah. So thank you so much for being on the show. This has been great. That's chasingtheinsights.com. So yep. Thank you so much for having me, man. Like, as I said, any chance for you and I to catch up, it's got to be fun. You always inspire me. And yeah, I love the passion you have for what you do. I love the way you connect with people. Honestly, people people that don't know you probably don't realize this yet. But the moment you meet somebody new, they now know five or six other people that you've connected them to. I mean, that in itself is just amazing. You, you just, you're there for people. And I really just want to honor that on you, Michael. Well, thank you. This has been the Neurodiversity Superpowers Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Whitehouse. Sign up to get every episode at neurodiversitysuperpowers.me. Join our Facebook group on facebook.com slash groups slash neurodiversity superpowers. Thank you so much for joining us, and don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. I'm launching a course called Successful ADHD Entrepreneur. I've been an entrepreneur for a long time, and I've had ADHD for a little bit longer than that. Over that time, I've learned quite a few things that make me quite effective. People even call me organized. After many people ask me to, I have created a course to share what I've learned with you. Get details at neurodiversity.me course. The first run is limited to only 20 students, and the first class is April 20th, so don't put this one off neurodiversity.me slash course.